Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my two buddies, some of my two favorites, Lee Murphy and Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Guys, how you doing? Doing good, Jay. Right. How you doing today? Good, Lee. I'm pretty pumped. Uh, we're getting some rain showers down here in Phoenix. I don't know about you guys, um, but you know, I'm, I'm more optimistic talking about elk season coming up and application season than I was this time last year. Uh, I'm sure Steele's going to have all kinds of charts and graphs and all kinds of data to throw at us and analyze the moisture and what have you like he always does. But, you know, just a general feel, you know, going into this application, to me it feels like we've gotten a lot more moisture uh, compared to certainly last year and certainly other dry years. I'm curious uh, both you guys' take uh, on the situation that we sit in with, you know, being, you know, 10 or 12 days away. I guess the deadline's February 12th to apply for Arizona elk and antelope. Um, where do you see the current uh, conditions sitting right now? It's, it's definitely better than last year. I mean, you could take a piss and it'd be better than last year. So uh, it's it's looking good. The first part of November was kind of dry. Um, December was all right. I think we had we had one storm in December, and then we had some storms in January. Um, and then now we had a storm yesterday, and we had a storm coming in today, just like you said. Um, <clears throat> so it's. It's looking good. If you look at uh, all the, the the maps that I have out and I'm looking at um, from one year to the next, I've got 2014 to 2019 from November to the end of January for each of those. So let's call 2014 that, that you know, January year. Um, this year looks more like on the precipitation maps looks more like uh, like a 2015 or a 2016. Um, nothing even remotely close to what we had last year. Um, so so that's good. Um, hopefully uh, hopefully uh, it keeps going. Um, ex excited about that, but then when I was trying to prep for this podcast. I looked at the the outlook, the climate outlook discussion on the National Weather Service Climate Prediction Center, and they kind of changed it uh, for February, and uh, now they're calling for a light or nominal El Nino, which on their month of February outlook uh, is actually showing a 40% less chance of of normal precipitation for the month of February, um, and then after that for March and April, it's just equal chances. So um, basically it's a crapshoot because, I mean, we've had two storms now technically, if you count this one and the one we had the other day in February. So um, I know that last storm, we probably got anywhere from a half inch to three quarters of an inch over in Kingman. I don't know what you got over there, Lee. Um, in Chino, but um, so it it it's looking good. Um, hopefully, it keeps coming. The the draw is so early. 
um, it's all we can do is base, you know, what we have right now. Um, right. And right now it looks good. We can't, you know, just like these guys changed their mind on February and then, you know, not saying basically it's a crapshoot for March and April. We don't, we don't know if we get, if we get another storm, storm the end of this month and then two more in March and one in April of half inch or better then it's, it's probably going to be as good as it can probably get, you know, but at this point, I think Lee and I talked about this the other day, it's safe to say that, you know, it's not going to be remotely close to what it was like last year as far as from an elk um, and, you know, stripping kaibab deer standpoint. It's just, uh, last year was just so, so horrible, you know. Yeah. What did you guys notice on, I know you did a bunch of over-the-counter deer hunts in January, and you guys always like doing those, and you've been out in the field. Like, what have you seen out there on the landscape as far as, you know, is there anything noticeable? Is it greener than obviously last year, but is it more of a normal type situation, an average type year, or what are you actually seeing out there on the ground right now? Uh, I'll let you I go, think Jake, I think compared to, you know, in the last five years or so, you know, 2017 was really, really wet and probably one of the best precipitation winters we've had in a long time. But this year's, I wouldn't say it's too far behind that. We're, there's a lot of fillery growing out there. The stuff that grows this time of year and does green up this time of year on the desert floor looks good. It's a good indicator. Um, so I think that right now the roots of all the plants and that are you know going to be browse plants, they've got a good foundation. So looking forward, it's just going to be a matter of now we've got enough to start the spring. It's just going to be a matter of the timing of the storms. If we get something in March, um, that, that'll be a huge boost. Uh, elk will have big back ends, you know, if there's some good time storms in March. But I think we have enough to, we can safely say it's going to be an average horn growth year this year. Um, yeah. Another thing, too, you know, people don't talk about a whole lot is the, the antelope. You know, I don't think anybody realized how bad last year was going to be until everything was wrapped up for the season. Um, I've never seen a year affect the antelope. I don't, they say that antelope horn structure doesn't get affected by the drought, but last year was pretty rough for, for antelope as well. You know, not just horn growth, but, but health and fawn survival rates. So this, this winter we're having should help, help them rebound too. So guys, with what I hear, with what I'm hearing you talk about, um, one thing that we haven't mentioned is I feel like, you know, late August, September, October, actually during the hunting season this year, we actually had some storms, and it seems like that, you know, the elk uh, would have went into the winter with pretty good feed conditions, which I think has to be uh, play a big role moving into the winter and then coming out of the winter now, you know, talking, you know, we're roughly February 4th right now, and you know, we're moving into spring slowly, but um, I think conditions, and, and I'd like your opinion on, you know, you guys were out there in Unit 10 during the elk hunt and such. I mean, how was that, you know, obviously a late summer monsoon. The rains came late, but they did come pretty good. Curious your thoughts, um, you know, 
we're talking, you know, that Unit 10 country that you guys like so much for your elk hunt. Um, talk a little bit about that and how that could play into this year uh, as well moving forward. Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead. Well, Unit 10, Unit 9, Unit 7, a lot of those units have the same type of habitat. And, you know, those late summer rains helped a great deal, Jay, but you also got to look back at what happened the 12 months prior to that just because it rained a lot and the feed was good. All the wildlife was really struggling. I don't think I've ever seen that I can remember back seeing antelope, deer, elk struggle like they did last year. Um, so just because they got a lot of rain in the late summer and the fall doesn't mean it's just you can snap your fingers and everything feels better. Uh, we saw that with the elk rut. I think it affected the antelope and the deer rut as well, even, even this last December and January. Uh, the animals' health, they don't just rebound right away. You know, they're, the, the, what the nutrients they get out of the feed is not, is not, you know, that strong. They have to get a lot of it every day. It takes a long time for them to rebound. So, yeah, it's a huge help to get that rain, but I think, I think we could see lingering effects of this in, you know, a couple different ways for, you know, for years to come. Fawn survival rates, calf survival rates on the elk. So, it's it's huge to have that rain. It, it kind of got us out of that dry slump, but it's not just going to be a overnight fix. Okay. Um, so when we when we look at uh, exclusive pursuit outfitters, which is you guys' guide business, um, you focus on a handful of units. Uh, if one of you could uh, kind of go through the units, uh, let's talk elk first. Uh, and then we'll talk antelope uh, later in the podcast. But let's talk elk first, talk about the units uh, that you guys like to guide in um, and, you know, talk a little bit about if there's any changes in the tag numbers. Um, you know, let's talk, let's, you know, I'll have follow-up questions and such, but let's kind of talk trends, you know, unit trending up, trending down, you know, anything that you're seeing out there. And feel free, uh, you guys, both to, kind of ham and egg it if you want, uh, if, if you have anything to add on, you know, something, if, if, whether it be Lee or Craig starting uh, out, just kind of ham and egg it and talk about the, the elk units that you like. Obviously, there's people listening that are, uh, you know, kind of waiting on every word you say to talk about these units. So why don't we go ahead and let you guys um, talk about the EPO units that you guys like. Okay, well, um, I'll kind of go, go through ahead. a summary of the units, and then I'll let Craig elaborate because he's better at that than I am. So, you know, we, we like the 7, 8, 9, and 10 units primarily for elk. Uh, we do a little bit in the block units. Um, we're pretty selective in all those units, though. We, we don't do a lot of hunts. We have a really limited amount of guides that we trust in each one of those units, Craig and I included in that, obviously, but... Um, we like those units. It's, they're close to us. We have the ability. Those are the units we like. Um, I don't really think there's a, a bunch of changes in those units this year as far as permit numbers and everything. Um, we hope that there will be, you know, I think there's a lot of holdover bulls. Other guys have talked about this on the podcast, you know, the bulls that didn't get shot last year that were broken or short in the back, didn't grow well. Uh, I think there's a good opportunity for there to be some holdover bulls this year. 
in all of those units, and they have one more year of age class uh, to go along with that, that we could see a good rebound in, in the quality of, of antler growth this year. Lee, when you talk about you, when you talk about those units, you obviously mentioned seven, eight, nine, and ten, kind of, and you know some of the block units. Obviously, from my perspective, you've got nine and ten, which are what I would consider the top, you know, top tier units, and then you know the seven, eights, and even the block units are kind of more of those mid tier units. Um, talk a little bit about people's expectation as far as you know the the difference in the top tier units and the mid tier units. In other words, uh, you know, rut hunting in unit nine and ten compared to rut hunting, you know, archery in you know seven or eight. From my perspective, there's a big difference in you know elk seem to be more finicky in the in the mid tier units. Uh, they seem to be uh, a little more skittish in those mid-tier units. Um, talk a little bit about that, um, you know, from, from top-tier to mid-tier, what people should expect. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think in, in that list of units that I just mentioned, you know, 9 and 10, I think, are, you know, most people think those are the best units, and they, they probably are. Um, I guess what it where we kind of break it down is we get guys, we get a lot of guys that ask us where to apply each year. And it, it kind of depends on their their expectations of what kind of bull they want to kill and hunt, um, how many points they have. So we'll recommend 9 and 10 usually to guys that have a lot of points or max points. Uh, they've waited a long time. They they don't need to be told what where to put in. Uh, seven and eight offer more, a little bit more of an opportunity for a guy that has less points. They're a little easier to draw. Uh, seven and eight do get more pressure. They don't have as good of age class. They can be more finicky. But, you know, there's guys that may not want to wait 20 years to draw a tag, and they're still good quality units. And you can still kill good quality bulls there. It just takes a little more work and, you know, a little more luck to... To, you know, to sort through all the other hunters and hunt pressure there is, but uh, the block units, um, pretty limited amount of tags there, so it's harder to draw, but uh, those units, both those block units are close to Craig and I, we grew up in them, so you can you can dig out some good bulls in there, um, but we, we're very particular about which clients we tell to put in and where, and a lot of it just depends on their expectations and how long they want to wait to get drawn and, and that sort of thing. Let's talk about specifically, let's talk about Unit 10. Um, you guys both really like Unit 10, and most archery seasons, most early rifle seasons will find you guys hunting in Unit 10. Um, you guys have access to a couple of different private ranches there uh, that you guys manage. Uh, you also have the ability to guide on public, and then, of course, uh, there's the big Bokeas, which uh, all outfitters have, uh, if they buy the access permit, have the ability to guide uh, on the Bokeas. Um, would you guys break down, uh, you know, kind of your private land opportunities there uh, in Unit 10, talk a little bit about, from your perspective, uh, how those uh, properties shine compared to, say, the public and what people could maybe 
uh, expect when hunting those private plots as opposed to maybe hunting just the general public areas in Unit 10? Well, any time you have private land, it's obviously you can limit the access. So those those two ranches we have put together there that we've been hunting on, I've been guiding on those for 10 years now. Um, it limits the pressure. There's only certain people that the ranch allows to hunt on there that hunt with us. So when you when you negate the hunt pressure, other other hunters, um, it, it improves your success rates a great deal. So. That's kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, hunting on the public side of 10, the central part of it, the eastern part of it that we spend most of our time on or all of our time for the elk, um, there's a lot of good opportunity in there. There's a lot of thick country that, that holds good bulls and you got to work hard at it, but um, we, we kind of like that, that side of the unit. So I'll let Craig, if Craig's got anything to add on that. Um, Probably, yeah, the biggest difference is, you know, private versus public, obviously, is, like Lisa, it's the hunt pressure, you know, quality of bulls scattered throughout the unit. You can find a, you know, big bull and, you know, pretty much any corner of Unit 10, they're just scattered out. Um, so the, the quality is, you know, the same. It's just the hunt pressure and um, <coughs> the... You know, some of the, some of the like like the forest stuff on the east side is is real thick and it can hold some really big bulls. Um, when they're when they're rut hard, it can be good. Um, you know, but uh, it, it can also be difficult. You know, part of the advantage of 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 hunting the private versus public is on the private. You know, the uh, elk you know, we'll, we'll stay out in the open. They'll just act more naturally versus, you know, on the public side, you know, you just don't know what's being pressured and what's not. And you can still have a great hunt um, on the public side. It's just, it's very dependent upon where guys are hunting um, that year, you know, how many residents drew, how many locals drew, drew how many non-resident DIY guys you know, Drew versus guys that are going to go with a guide. And, you know, I was looking at the, at the numbers today, and I had a client or a, you know, prospective client ask about the hunt success in Unit 10 versus Unit 9. And I think one of the misnomers with Unit 10 is just that there's just elk everywhere. It's a big unit. Um, and, you know, there still there's areas that have elk and there's areas that don't. And if um, there's, you know, and that's dependent upon where the monsoon hits, where the feed is, where the hunt pressure is, where cattle are. Um, so there's a bunch of different factors that come into play. And I think versus like Unit 9 where it's, it's, it's big, but it's, it's not as big. And it just like the elk density is a little bit more uh, easier to grasp as far as if you're going on your own and, you know, you kind of look at the hunt success there. Um, I, I would love to see the hunt success with a guide in Unit 10 versus DIY um, from a non-resident perspective. Um, obviously, if you're, you know, a local guy or somebody that has, you know, four weeks of vacation time and you're willing to spend, you know, a week or two scouting, you know, 
um, you know, you, Unit 10 might be a, a good call for you, but you need to scout. You need to find where the moisture is hit. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully you can get away from, you know, people and, and have a good hunt because there's, there's definitely big bulls scattered out throughout the entire unit. Um, so that's, I guess, kind of my take on, um, you know, the hunt pressure and type of bulls, public versus private and so on and so forth. What would you guys say, like I'm hearing a lot of people saying that they feel like Unit 10 is trending up, meaning that the bull quality is getting better. Obviously, coming off of a horrific year like last year, you know, it's probably hard to make that judgment. But if, if, I, if I ask you guys whether the Unit 10 bull quality is trending up or down or flat, what would each one of you say? I would say that it's it's definitely trending upward. Anytime you uh, manage the permit numbers like the department did a couple years ago when they cut the tags back down to 40 early rifle and now they're down to 100 archery, those are those are two hunts that really get focused on hard. Um, the guys that draw those tags, the guys that guide on those tags, they really put a lot of work into it, and especially the early rifle, there's you have a hundred early rifle tags and there was a lot of bulls getting whacked, you know, and it, it, it killed the age class. And, um, that's, we're a couple of years into that being limited, the permits being limited back down to lower numbers. And so that's the, the whole, the whole key, you know, there's a lot of contributors to antler growth and big bulls, but the, the biggest, most important one is age class. And so age class is on the uptrend in 10. So it's definitely going to come back, and as long as they leave those permit tags where they're at. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's the key is, is you just, I think 2016 is the first year they had the big cutback, so 16, 17, 18, and now we're going into 19, so that's four years. Um, I think in, a, if in another four years, you know, if they keep the tags back, that, you know, we're, we're going to start, to really see that consistently, it's just a matter of does it stay that way, you know, and, and you just never know from year to year, um, you know, if, if, if the tag numbers are going to stay that way. We, you know, we always root for that because, like Lee said, man, I, that's the number one thing. That's the number one thing is age class. And, you know, uh, let's be honest, hunters are better. More guys, you know, guys, guides are better, um, equipment's better, um, information's more out there, and we're just more efficient. And, uh, you know, there's just not, I mean, there's stuff getting through. I'm not making it sound doom and gloom, but um, we're just more efficient, and we're, we're better hunters than we were, you know, 15, 20 years ago, let alone 30 years ago, and um, it, it, it's you know the age class is is just so big, and uh, I just I, we can't we can't stress that enough. It's it's what we like to see is see we would like to see for the entire state is just better age class on our animals as a whole. So go ahead, Jay. Seem to think that Unit Ten is on the uptrend. 
But I, I wonder if, yes, it's on the uptrend, but it seems like I'm hearing a lot of people jumping ship from Unit 9, and now they're going to apply for Unit 10. Um, and I, I just wonder if, you know, obviously you both are saying it's on an uptick and it's trending upward, but I wonder if it um, merits or is it warranted that people, you know, jump from Unit 9 being their first choice the last, you know, five, six, seven years, all of a sudden unit 10. I think it's, it's, you know, fun for us to armchair quarterback and talk about the hype, but it almost seems like I'm hearing hype in unit 10, and I just am a little bit skeptical as to, you know, can it really just slap unit 9 like a stepchild and say, yeah, unit 10 is just going to be a better unit. I don't know that that's the case. Um, I like Unit 9 and Unit 10. I've hunted them both a lot. Um, and I feel like on a year like this, Unit 9 could come back with a vengeance and slap Unit 10 around. I'm curious your guys' thoughts as to the hype and wondering if you've heard kind of an up, you know, a, a, a trend upwards in guys moving from different units to Unit 10 and Unit 10 kind of being the poster child. Are you hearing that as well? Yeah, I I hear that, you know, this year a lot, Jay. Guys, guys saying exactly what you're talking about, and I'll I'll make a point here that I've I've said this for years, you know, probably seven eight years now. What a lot of people don't realize is the type of country that nine and ten share, even seven west, eighteen a. Some of these bulls go thirty forty miles for the rut, and it, and stay there, you know, into October. Um, a lot of times they make their way back to wherever they came from by November, but 9 and 10 share a lot of the same bulls for the rut. I've, I've been out in the flats of Unit 10, antelope hunting, and glass bulls wandering during the middle of the day before the rut coming out of 9 or going to 9. So I've made the, the point for years now that I don't really see a whole lot of difference in 9 and 10 as far as the quality of bulls because I think a lot of the bulls share country between the units um mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of my opinion at least on the the eastern side of 10 and and a good part of nine i think they share country same thing with seven west i think bulls travel back and forth between those units there as well yeah i think that's a good point and i mean i think lee years ago you killed a one of your clients killed a big 400 inch bull I believe in nine that was, you know, all summer long had photographs, you know, 25 miles away in unit 10. Um, and I think that goes to your point of those elk, you know, move around. Um, you know, fortunately, unit nine and 10 have, you know, limited their numbers and kept them lower. Let's say that if unit nine just stayed at 100 and, you know, they jumped unit 10 up to 300 archery tags or even 200 like they used to have and 100 early rifle tags, it greatly affects unit 9. So if we can keep both of the numbers down in both of the units, I think that would be both the best for, you know, the, the conglomerate of both units. Um, but it's just funny how, you know, you start hearing the hype of Unit 10, which I'd like nothing more than Unit 10 to be the way it was back in 05, the last time I had a tag in there. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but I think you guys have both made the point that, you know, 
four or five years ago that that, that creep and tag numbers up to 200 archery tags and 100 early rifle tags and a bunch of late rifle tags really knocked it down in 10 and it's slowly but surely coming back it'll be interesting to see you know with with decent timely storms if you know unit 10 can get back to producing those you know 380 plus bulls consistently like it used to be back in you know, I would say like the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where you know there was always a handful, five, six, seven bulls that were you know 380 plus that were shot. So, from a trophy hunter's perspective, I can't wait to see if that's what's going to happen. I hope it does. I think it's good for our state. Um, I think as many people that cry for opportunity, you know, our state kind of sets itself apart with trophy quality, and I think the Game and Fish has played around with that a little bit. Um, in a lot of these units with a lot of late elk tags. And, um, you know, I think once Arizona loses that reputation, uh, you know, it, it could create a problem for the game and fish. So I hopefully, hopefully they'll keep uh, the tag numbers in check. And, you know, they would argue that they have to, uh, they have outside factors that affect, you know, their tag allocations and what have you. But, um, from my perspective, I just hope they keep everything in check, and I'd rather them harvest less bulls and less cows than more and let some of those animals grow up and, um, you know, let Arizona regain its trophy status of, you know, the best state in the country for, for elk. That's what I would like uh, myself. I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on that. I know. I mean, I, I, am, I am on board 100% with that. I just... I don't think, too, I don't think a lot of people understand, like, on elk age classes, I mean, eight, nine years old is, the bulls are just hitting their stride, you know. Um, I think some people might think, you know, four, five, six years old is mature, and, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years old, these bulls can, you know, that's when they get those big old necks and five-gallon barrels for next and you know big old paunchy belly and they're just they're they're going to be at their max and just it's such an awesome animal to watch when they get to there you know it's, it's just it's unfortunate that over the last you know 10 years you know um, we've seen a lot of young bulls you know we've we've killed some you know because the tags are there and you know that that's sometimes all that's there and you know, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, they, they can continue to keep the tags down and, and you know, they're eventually going to have to raise the price, um, you know, for resident and non-resident, and I'm completely fine with that. They haven't raised the price in a while, um, and, uh, you know, because they, they have to generate the revenue um, to get paid and to fund their, you know, their stuff. So um, hopefully I you know, would rather them see them keep these tag numbers down and even, you know, cut some more um, and, and you know, increase the price than, you know, uh, jerk it back around to uh, 200 archery elk tags and 10 and 150 and 9 and, you know, 50 early rifle bull tags and 9, stuff like that. So I'm on board with that 100%. I'm sure Lee is too. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you know that's a big discussion for the the game and fish, and they have a they have a really tough job balancing that opportunity versus 
versus trophy quality, and I've, I've got a pretty good inside look at that in the last five years. With I've had a lot of meetings with those guys, and it's it's a it's a slippery slope for them. Um, you know, there's a lot of us crying out for age class and lower permit numbers and increase the quality, but there is still a lot of people that that voice opportunity too. So it's they've got their hands full. I I'm on board though. I would love to see you know more more trophy management in Arizona, more quality. And I think there's a lot of people that want opportunity, but they still want to see big animals. They want a chance to kill big animals, but when it comes down to it, they'll go out there and hunt for a couple of days, and then they kind of lose interest and they'll just shoot whatever. Um, I'd like to see more guys be a little more selective, you know, but can't control that. Yeah. Game fish has to we, make... It, you mentioned for the last five years, um, uh, let's talk about your role with the Big Bokeas Ranch. Um, from my perspective, you are a perfect liaison, a middleman between the owners and the leasee on the Big Bokeas Ranch, and you've been doing, in my opinion, a great job uh, trying to kind of help uh, the, the go-between between the public hunts on Unit 10 and keeping the ranch open and, and a proponent for keeping the ranch open for sportsmen. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your role on the Big Bokeas Ranch and what that involves? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be glad to answer a few questions on that. You know, um, mainly what my job is, is there, there's an operating agreement between the department, the leasee, and the owner of the ranch, which is the Navajo Nation. A lot of people get, get things confused there. You know, they don't know who owns it or who runs the cattle. And, but there's three partners, and, and the ranch owner is the Navajo, and the leasee is Troy Livestock, and then the department um, I I work for the leasee uh, as a subcontractor, and uh, my job is ba mainly to coordinate with the Game and Fish Department on behalf of the ranch uh, regarding the the permit sales, uh, the permit stats, how many we're selling, who bought the permits. Uh, we we have a very um, open communication there about what's going on with the permit sales. We we have as part of that operating agreement, we have to let the game and fish know who's bought permits, how many we've sold. Um, also, uh, permit enforcement and patrol. The game and fish patrols the ranch for us. I'm, I'm constantly in contact with those guys about what what's going on with patrol. Um, I do a little bit of that myself, the patrol. Um, uh, ranch rule revisions. Uh, another part of my job is I have to... Um, meet with the gaming fish a couple times every year, but we, we always go through and we're, we're going to have our meeting here in a couple weeks. Uh, we look at the ranch rules every year, and there's several guys from the gaming fish that I meet with. We look at the ranch rules. We look at see what, what's happened in the past year, if there's anything we need to revise in the language or anything like that. And then I also coordinate with them about any improvement projects that the gaming fish department does on the ranch and coordinate that with the ranch. Lee, from my perspective, asking you a few questions, um, and, you know, you can choose to answer or not, but 
um, you are a proponent of the ranch remaining open and the public being able to use and utilize the ranch, correct? Yeah, the short answer to that is yes. Um, it benefits the ranch best to be open to the limited amount of public that, that is on there, and that's the permit system kind of self-limits that. Um, the, the, there needs to be a volume of hunters on there to manage the elk. That's, that's one of the, the big concerns is managing the population of the elk. So you need to have enough volume of hunters on there to, to do that and take care of the elk because that's, that's a huge impact on that ranch is the amount of elk on there and the grazing um, competitiveness that they have against the cattle. Um, from a perspective of uh, if, if a third party was trying to say, well, Lee Murphy and Craig Steele with Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, they run the show on the big Bokeas and they are blocking everybody out. And, you know, is that a true statement? And, and or from my perspective, you guys don't even hardly ever even guide on the big Bokeas because you've got other properties that you do, you know, exclusively guiding on. Yeah, there's there's always the the talking heads out there that that have their conspiracy theories and everything. But uh, my my very first meeting with the Game and Fish Jay when I when I took the position before I even met with them, I thought about a lot of those kind of things. You know what what the public was going to say, me being an outfitter and having that position. So my very first meeting, um, that was the first question at, at the time. It was Tom Finley who was the uh, regional supervisor for Kingman, that's the first thing he wanted to ask me is, well, what, what's your position going to be on that? Are you going to guide on the ranch? And, and I already had my answer ready that, you know, my choice, I'm not giving up any privilege to do that, but my choice is going to be not to because I know what some of the talking heads would say about it. So I don't guide any clients on there. I haven't guided any clients on the ranch. Um, you know, some of the some of the guys that work for EPO have hunted with their families over there, and maybe we, uh, they've guided a couple of antelope hunts over there. But we don't we don't do any elk hunts over there. Haven't done any elk hunts over there. Now, that's not to say that we've given up the privilege to hunt over there. Family member or something draws over there, but it, we simply just don't need to. We have other places that we we prefer to guide. Um, Big Bow's a great place to hunt, don't get me wrong, but it still gets a great deal of the pressure in Unit 10. Yeah, makes sense. Um, can you let people know where they can find out more information about the permit structure and process and, um, you know, how that works, whether they go on the website or do they send you an email or how that works? Uh, yeah, they can just uh, simply get on the Hunt Big Bow Ranch website. Um, the a lot of people um, I get that's a lot of what I do throughout the year is answer emails by people asking questions about the permit process or how it works. Um, a lot of people could save themselves three or four minutes if they just read through the ranch rules. It's not just rules; the ranch rules actually is in a nutshell how the program works. It takes about three or four minutes to read through that, um, read through it carefully. It answers most of the questions that I get by email every year. 
if people just read through that, it explains a lot of it. Uh, we understand that obviously it's hard to draw a tag in Arizona or Unit 10. Uh, there's guys that wait a lot of years. So every year there's guys that haven't bought a permit in past years and they have they have questions and we're happy to answer that. And, you know, if you're new to the system and new to the permitting process, there's, you know, there's a lot of questions sometimes. But this takes some time to read the ranch rules um, is the main thing. And it, it gives you a pretty good understanding of how the access program works. And then there's a there's a link on there you can click to email me to you know to ask a, a question if you don't find it in the ranch rules. Good stuff. Uh, I'd like to kind of move on to talking about we talked a little bit about the private land, the difference in hunting on the, in Unit Ten on the private land versus the public land. Um, you know, you guys have done a great job uh, videoing some of the hunts and seeing some of those big clumps of elk that are that are balled up in the bugling. Um, just a little bit of a recap from last year compared to most years. Uh, you know, was your bugling way down compared to most average years last year in Unit 10? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a, a very sporadic, um, smaller pockets of elk, um, and just uh, the activity was was definitely down. It seemed like a few a few of the bulls, bigger bulls, just either didn't even show up or or didn't uh, um, you know act normal, you know, um, so to speak, didn't weren't tending cows, and then there was some that, that were, obviously, but uh, um, it, it was just, it seemed very sporadic. On a normal year, like this year's probably going to be, um, do you anticipate getting some of those videos where, you know, you've got 70, 80, 90 cows and, you know, 12, 15, 18 bulls just going in and out of the herd and have, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of your videos on your website and such, and it just looks like it's just mayhem out there. I mean, I think, uh, Lee and I discussed kind of the elk rut too, you know, is a lot of guys will talk about the peak of the rut, like, almost like it's a mountain, and then it drops off. It's more like a roller coaster, you know, to get to the top of that mountain. Um, so it's... I think it's definitely uh, going to be better. I still think personally that a good, early, strong, consistent monsoon um, is probably one of the most influential factors in a, in a good, strong elk rut um, on a normal year. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I know I'll be watching for that. Um, but uh, definitely because of the pressure and the elk not getting bumped, it gives them an opportunity to just be normal elk, so they're just not always, you know, scattered out and pressured and in that high-pressure mode where they're, you know, um, trying to survive versus trying to breed and tend cows. Um, and uh, even though the elk rut on the public side can get going too, it, it's, it's, just, it's just more consistent very a lot more consistent they all just seem to be they're just more natural you know just kind of like your colorado stuff 
Yeah, and so I would say, like, from my perspective, you know, the elk out on the public side or even on the big bow where the public is allowed to hunt, in other words, those big, large clumps of elk would still bed out in the open and rut out in the open, but you would have the public literally driving right into them and scattering them. Correct me if I'm wrong, one of the benefits of having those big, large tracts of private land is you guys as outfitters and guides can manage how you guys hunt those elk, and there's areas where you'll let them congregate and be elk, and you won't go driving right through, and you won't pressure them. So and that's what we do on the ranch in Colorado is we try and let them in those rutting areas, let them have those areas, and we work the fringes and ha let them have kind of that sanctuary where the only reason that the public doesn't see that out on the public side is basically guys can't help themselves and would literally just drive right into them and scatter them like quail, whereas if you have the ability to kind of manage how you hunt those elk, you can allow them to get all lathered up and get in a frenzy and balled up and, and let them be elk, which attracts other elk, which then attracts other, you know, bulls, which attracts big bulls. Um, is that basically how you guys kind of operate there on the property is let them do their thing and, it you know, bulls bugling starts attracting other elk and it just becomes a big meatball by the end of the season yeah i would i would say that's that's pretty accurate jay the we we try and hunt very low impact um and be very very uh, specific about our strikes if you will about when we go in and try and stalk something if it's just not not a good situation we'll just watch and or back out um and let the elk do their thing, and it it's it really improves your your harvest success by doing that, and your opportunities for hunters. Um, like you said earlier, a lot of guys they see elk, they hear elk bugle, and they just can't help themselves. They just got to go go after them. They don't think, you know, they don't think about the wind. They don't think about about what's you know a couple steps down the trail with the hunt, and so sometimes you got to really be patient. It's hard to do, but it'll it'll help you in the long run. Guys, I want to take a quick second here to thank my sponsors, but I want you guys to be thinking because I'm going to put you both on the hot seat. I'm going to basically go through units 7, 8, 9, and 10. We're going to talk archery, early rifle, and the late hunt, and I'm going to put you on the hot seat as far as what hunters should expect as far as trophy quality this year, you know, whether it be, you know, 300 to 330 or 330 to 340 or whatever that may be. So start thinking about that while I'm thinking the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. I want to thank my friend Cody Nelson, who's the optics manager, the optics authority uh, there at GoHunt.com gear shop. And any of you out there that are interested in a new pair of binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, etc., reach out to Cody at 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can send him an email directly at optics at gohunt.com. And Cody has routinely been taking care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. If you mention my name, uh, if he doesn't, let me know, and I'll go... Uh, I'll go give him a black eye. 
uh, but he has been routinely taking care of the listeners, so make sure to reach out to Cody. I want to thank Go Hunt for their sponsorship. I also want to remind you guys this is application season, and if you're not a Go Hunt Insider member, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You can sign up for the Insider and automatically get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card right away just for signing up. It is the best Western uh, resource out there, best hunting resource out there uh, for application uh, strategies and draw odds uh, across the Western states. I also want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear uh, on all my hunts. Uh, CanyonCoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Phonescope.com, that is the company, the digiscoping adapter that I use for all of my videos and phone, uh, or excuse me, all my videos and uh, photos that you see on my Instagram account. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there. And then onxmaps.com, use the JSCOT19 promo code to get a 20% discount on all orders there on Onyx Maps, which I've grown to really, really like. And uh, in this case of Unit 10, uh, if you have Onyx Maps, you will be able to use Aerial. You'll be able to tell where the private land is, the public land. Uh, and I found it to be a very valuable tool. Uh, guys, I want to talk about Unit 7. Uh, you, you talk about 7, 8, and 9. I want to go through them briefly uh, and have you guys give kind of an expectation for the archery hunt, uh, the early rifle hunt, and the late hunt in each unit. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and start with Unit 10. Uh, let's talk archery. I don't care which one of you you can trade off if you want. But uh, go 10. Uh, what can people expect uh, for archery? Uh, you know, as far as what type of quality of bull on a year like this. And give me a range, you know, say, you know, 275 to 310 with a chance at XYZ. Okay. Well, you know, I think this year we're going to see an uptrend uh, in the quality, obviously, compared to last year. You know, we, we know of a couple bulls last year that were, you know, we we knew what they thought we thought they were in 17, and we saw them dip down 30, 40. One bull we thought was maybe 50 inches down last year. So, provided those bulls are alive, um, you know, we could see them back up to where they were even better. Um, one of those bulls is, was 400 in 2017, and he was probably 350 last year. So, with the precipitation outlook we have, I think. Um, I think there will be, there'll be some big bulls that are, you know, 370, 380 that are available for archery hunters and early rifle hunters to kill. I think uh, realistically, though, um, you know, a 340 to 360 range, I think there's going to be quite a few of those kind of bulls that, that guys will be chasing around with the bow and arrow on the early hunt. Okay. Um, you know, I assume... Down, I assume the same thing for the early rifle hunts is, you know, chance at maybe a 370, but a lot of three, 340 to 360 type bulls if they're not broken. What about the late hunt in Unit 10? I know a lot, you know, I think there's 500 tags. A lot of people look at that late hunt in Unit 10. What are your thoughts as far as a range of quality uh, on those late hunts in 10? 
Well, there will be the same type of bull. You know, the bulls that survive archery and early rifle and, and the muzzleloader hunt, uh, those bulls will still be there, but your chances are cut down considerably, you know, getting them killed that time of year. So, you know, usually I tell guys on that late hunt to, you know, have expectations of, of a really good bull for the late hunt. It's going to be a 320 three to 340 type bull. You know, to kill a 350 bull in the late hunt is... It's a pretty tall task. It's not that they're not there. It's just your your chances on getting an opportunity on a 350 plus bull is is pretty limited. They're they're nowhere near as vulnerable as they are in the early season. Okay, and Lee, um, what about the late archery hunt? And you mentioned the muzzleloader hunt in ten. Um, you know, expectations for that late archery hunt. From my mind, you know. It's after the rut, and it's a very difficult hunt. They're, you know, basically hiding and laying up. Um, but as far as trophy quality um, on that late archery and late muzzleloader hunt, what do you think? I think, um, you know, it'll be the same kind of bulls are going to be there that'll be there for the late the late hunt. You know, once the, once the rut's done, the breakage is over with, you know, bulls break during the rut, you're going to have to sift through broken bulls. I don't care what, what year it is in 9 and 10, but I think you can expect to, to hunt a you know, three, 320, 330 bull is going to be a really, maybe a 340 bull, be a good bull on the muzzleloader. That late archery hunt, that's, you know, I've seen guys make mistakes and put in for that and not realize it was a late hunt. Um, I feel bad for those guys, but uh, that late hunt can be a good hunt, but it takes a real gritty type bow hunter to pull that off um they can there's been some guys i know that have killed some good bulls on that hunt but it's not a it's not a good hunt unless you've got a lot of grit and a, a lot of time to put in scouting okay um craig let's move to unit nine uh talk about the archery hunt expectations um and we still got to do antelope so let's just wrap through these pretty good um so unit nine i think the 340 to 360 on the archery hunt um, for, you know, type of bull you can kind of expect to be hunting. Um, I think possibilities there to, you know, hunt a 380-plus bull, um, obviously some of the best genetics in the world. Um, and I think that same thing for the early rifle um, as well. Uh, unit 9, a lot of that is dependent upon, you know, so flat, um, are, they, are, they, are they rutting hard? Because um, you can bet anywhere around the limited knobs that they're at, there's going to be some big glass going with outfitters and stuff. So um, the advantage there is if you're a DIY hunter um, and they're going pretty good, um, you probably have just as good a chance in Unit 9 as anywhere to kill a big bull. Um, yeah. And the late hunt, um, the late hunt to me in Unit 9 is drastically uh, worse than unit 10. Um, I like 7 and 8 better than I like unit 9, not because there's not big bulls there, but just because, there's again, there's not a lot of glassing and canyons there. I think expectations, if you kill a unbroken, you know, 306 point, you're doing pretty darn good there. Obviously, I'm sure there's one or two, you know, 350 plus bulls that get killed every year there from people that drive in the roads or bumble into them. Um, and then some of that is also dependent upon how dry it is, um, sitting water. Same with the archery elk hunt in Unit 9. I think it can be a good hunt for somebody that's really gritty 
and you're able to sit water if it's dry. If it's not dry in Unit 9, I don't think it's the best time. I mean, I, I wouldn't burn more than a few points if you're a resident. Um, if you're a non-resident, uh, you're, 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 you're trying to hit a fastball off Randy Johnson um, to kill a big bull on that hunt. So I guess if I could simplify it and analogize that, that's how I would say it, you know. So if you can, you can hit, maybe you got a chance, but otherwise, don't apply. Okay, let's talk about seven and eight. I'll take seven if you take eight, please. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, seven. Okay, unit unit seven. Um, I have had three tags in there myself over the last twenty years. 25 years, um, hunted on antelope hunt in there last year on that country, especially on the west side. I'm not going to talk about 7 East because I don't like 7 East, but 7 West is pretty, a lot more open in the pinion juniper country because of the bark beetle. Um, I think it's still a pretty good unit. I think on the early archery hunts, you know, a 320 to a uh, 40 can be you can expect to kind of be hunting that type of bull with very li with limited bugling action towards the tail end of the hunt i think it's going to get a little bit better um i think there'll be a couple bulls probably killed in that uh you know 350 to 370 range and you know maybe one or two bulls in that 370 plus range um the late hunt in there i think is a is at least you can blast um, it's just a lot of elk and a lot of people condensed into a little area. Um, and it seems like a lot of those bulls, the bigger bulls, move out of that country. Um, and some of it also, you know, snow, if we get snow on the late hunt, um, it can be a little bit uh, muddy and wet and hard to travel in that country. But um, I think on that late hunt, if you can realistically kill a 280 the 300 bull, you're doing pretty good. Um, very few bulls in that 330-plus range are going to get killed on that late hunt. Okay, Unit 8. Now, for Unit 8, you know, I think the size expectations going to be similar to 7 West. You know, Unit 8's got some of the coolest country there is for elk country in the state, and it's but it's popular. Uh, a lot of the locals hunt it hard every year so unit eight you got to do your homework you got to catch a little luck but i think you know a two 280 to 300 inch bull on the on the late hunt is going to be you know a pretty reasonable expectation there's always some big bulls in unit eight though because of the type of country it has it's got some some thick carpet cedar country that bulls can learn how to survive in there without getting killed every year so there's there's always a sleeper chance that a guy could kill a, you know, a 340, 350 bull on a late hunt. Um, the early hunts, you know, they're a little better. They're, you know, you could hunt 340, 350 type bulls on the archery hunt this year, I think, and there might be a sleeper chance of seeing something big, you know, 360, 370, 380. Some of the biggest bulls killed with a bow have, been, have come out of eight over the years, so it's uh, there's just not a lot of them. Guys, um, that's an awesome breakdown for elk. Obviously, you guys both love antelope and both have, you know, any anybody that calls me about antelope, I tell them to call you guys. You guys know more about antelope. Uh, you forgot more about antelope than I know. 
Um, why don't you guys um, break down the antelope uh, this year, the units that you like, and obviously if people want to talk to you guys more about elk or antelope, they can get a hold of you. But um, go through the units that you guys like, talk a little bit about uh, each unit, quality, et cetera. Well, for, for antelope, it's, you know, our favorite units and what we like to hunt in is, is, is kind of tough because they're, they're hard to get drawn in and there's such a limited amount of tags for guys. But, um, you know, we like the 19B units, the 18 units. that They have some of the best genetics and, and limited amount of tags. So there's, there's always some, some really big bucks available in those units each year. Uh, unit 10... You know, there's there's great genetics in there, and there's always a few good bucks, but the hunt pressure's uh, pretty great in that unit. We we end up taking guys there every year just because uh, there's always good bucks to kill. Um, a couple other units that are that are that are pretty good, you know, but very limited, and you know, a guy's gotta gotta understand there might be only a couple good bucks in his unit nine. We'll have a few good bucks. Um, seven's been kind of struggling, but once in a while there's a good buck in there. Um, 5B is probably one of the better units that's got a fair amount of tags. It and Unit 10 are probably the, the two that have the most tags and the best drawing odds for guys to to kill a book buck, an 82-inch minimum buck. Um, yeah, I think... Archery... Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Craig. Go ahead. I, I, I think uh, everybody just uh, goes goes with Unit 10 and 5B because, you know, there's, there is so many. You're going to see more antelope, but, you know, you're, they're kind of wide open by country. And, um, there's, you know, I hunted Unit 7 last year with one of our hunters, and uh, that was tough in places just to even find antelope. Um, it was very discouraging, um, but doesn't mean, you know, I think some of the best bucks or opportunity are in tougher places, maybe like that, um, because they get skimmed over, um, and, uh, you know, you might find a sleeper that, uh, you know, people are just discouraged, don't, don't find the antelope there, so. Um, or don't see them like they see them in Unit 10 or a 5B or, um, you know, they just don't see them as regular. And I know for myself last year, uh, scouting, it, it was very discouraging to, to scout that unit. But um, I, you still get the sense that they're in some of these units that have these lowers, like a 9, a 7, uh, uh, you know, the 18s. Um, 19B has just got awesome genetics. Lee's hunted it. Um, it's very popular, you know, for auction and raffle hunters to, to, and guides to be scouting in that unit just because of genetics. But I still think in some of these lower density class units that are really hard to scout these antelope, um, I still think that's where a sleeper buck, um, really big buck can be found. But it just, you have to go find them. Well, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, different than a lot of animals that we hunt. Like, you could potentially have a trophy antelope at three years old, potentially, uh, and certainly four and five, whereas, you know, elk, sometimes they need to get up, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Deer need to get up a lot. In other words, 
you could have a buck that's been skimmed over for two years and all of a sudden he's a giant because at four years old he could be at maximum potential. Am I right? Yeah, that's, yeah you're, that's you're right. right. Antelope do renew their age class a lot sooner than anything else or sooner than anything else. You know, it takes, in my opinion, I think an antelope still has to get to, to four years old to, to really reach their their prime, but um, they can definitely reach their prime sooner than a deer or an elk, and so I think that that does happen. You know, you, you can see a buck that doesn't look like much last year, but then he can really blossom in one year's time, and so that's kind of a, an exciting thing about antelope is every year you don't know what you're going to find out there. For sure. Well, um, guys, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. I want to give you a chance if you have any final concluding thoughts uh, and also make sure that uh, people know how they can reach out to you. Also link it up in the show notes of this podcast. But uh, go ahead uh, and let me know if you have any concluding thoughts or any final, final statements. And uh, it's always great talking to both of you. I always uh, enjoy seeing the success that you guys have in the fall and uh, you know, I get a lot of feedback from hunters that have hunted with both of you guys and your guides and talk about what uh, quality guys you are. So that hats off to you guys. Well, thanks for having us on, Jay. We, we appreciate the opportunity and uh, we look forward to this hunting season and hopefully it'll be a little better than last year when it comes to the antler growth. I'll let Craig yeah. sounds good. follow up. Yeah, Jay, thanks for having us on and, uh, I hope everybody watched the Super Bowl yesterday. <laughs> you had you had to throw that right hook in there, didn't you? <laughs> hey, speaking about that, um, I sent you a text like I don't know six minutes ago. I'm like that was an impressive drive, and instead of Craig like yes it was, he's like four quarters, man, it ain't over. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right, but. Uh, after well, the game, got, I'm sure you were able to enjoy it a little bit, huh? Man, I, Lee and I have had many conversations, and my dad was here for the Super Bowl, and he's like, ah, Patriots are going to win by 20, you know, and I'm like, and it, I, I, I just don't feel that way about anything. I just don't know how you can feel that way, and I think that, I don't know, that's why they're so good is they're just, Every game, it's a new game. Every game is a new game. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. And, you know, I, I know Lee and I talked about that, like, with what we do and stuff. Every client's a new client. It doesn't matter what you do in the past. Like, you just got to keep grinding out. It, things are a lot harder, you know. So, I don't know. When you send me that text, I'm listening to my dad, and, you know, and he's, I'm like, yeah, where's your 20 points at, Dad? Like, they're, they're not winning by 20. And so, <laughs> uh, you don't it, feel that way, so, you know? Let me ask you a question, Craig. Is the fact that you like Tom Brady so much, is it the fact that he's a six-time Super Bowl champion, or is it the fact that he was, uh, you know, struggled, struggled in college, you know, didn't get drafted high, and he was just this gangly kid who was an underdog, and is it the story of Tom Brady? You know, the, the, the people all know the Tom Brady that's won the six Super Bowls, but is it the, the thing that you love about him so much, the fact that he was basically a nobody and he, he, he rose to the top? I mean, you know, that's what everybody's always like, oh, 
I'm rooting for the underdog. I'm always rooting for the underdog, and I, that's, I mean, that's primarily why I like Tom Brady is because he is, you know, like ultimately he's got the worst combine score ever for a quarterback. It means his stats are crap, you know, and he's long and gangly and just all the above. And, you know, even today everybody talks about him and they're like, oh, yeah, he's done or he doesn't have the strongest arm or he's not athletic. And they're still arguing whether or not he's the greatest of all time. And what it comes down to is, uh, yeah, he is the greatest of all time. And it's not because on paper he's athletically the most athletic. So the position of quarterback is not who's the most athletic. Because if it was who's the most athletic, Michael Jordan would be the greatest of all time as a quarterback. But it's who's the best quarterback. And you've got to have the mental side, too. It's not just physical. It's, and you've got to have the work ethic as well. So, I mean, how can you not love somebody that, that does that, you know, that just grinds and grinds and grinds and, they don't win them all, you know, but I don't know. So that's, that's what I love about Tom Brady is he just – and I'm, I know there's other people out there that are like that, but he's just at the highest stage, the biggest stage. And he goes about his business confidently, you know, he's confident, but he's not cocky about it either. You know, he just goes back. He yeah, that, I would say that. He, you know. He's about as humble as they – as they could come for a six-time Super Bowl champion, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I, I like about him. I like how he carries himself, and I like his work ethic, and I like how the fact that, you know, it's like people debate whether he's the greatest of all time, and it's like, in my mind, there is no debate. Like, you can't even debate it, but the reason you're debating it is he's not out there telling everybody, I'm the best that ever was. And, um, you know, whereas there's other people that you know, maybe are more boisterous of how good they are. He just has that inner sense of, you know, we're going to grind it out as a team and I'm going to play my role. And, um, you know, I'm no Patriots fan at all. I don't hate the Patriots, but I do like those stories where you've got the guy that isn't supposed to be the guy and it's clear and evident that he is. Yeah, no, that's just sort of amazing. It's amazing. You know, I always relate that to, to hunting in the same way, and Lee was talking about on that late elk hunt, it takes a gritty, grind type of guy to get it done on that hunt, and let's just be honest, there's just, there's only a small percentage of people that are, that are really like that, and understand that 99.9% of the times it's going to suck, you know, it's that 0.1% when it, that you've got to be ready and you just got to keep going back and getting your butt kicked and then boom it happens or it doesn't you know what i mean and then you got to do it again and that's i think that's the whole thing about the patriots is since in bill pelichick is the i mean he's the culprit behind it all he said no we're on to the next one like that one meant nothing yeah. because this is a new game and so many people don't look at life that way they they look at it as you know I don't know, like celebrate because they, they won and then, you know, that should carry them through to the next victory and that's just not the case, you know. So, anyway. I'll I think one of the things when I text both of you guys during a hunting season, you you two are notorious for like, like, how's it going? You're like, oh, we're getting killed. Like, we're just getting 
they're just we're just getting smashed and the next thing I get is a text photo of some giant animal on the ground and I'm like yeah uh-huh but that's what people don't realize is that what we do is we grind and grind and grind and it's you know half the time sitting with your glassing stuck because you're getting killed and then all of a sudden it comes together in a moment and there you get your trophy photo and then everyone the next year that wants the book they're like yeah i want to go with that guy and you're like well yeah but you're, you know 99 percent of the time we're just grinding away and then then it does happen because we stay with it whereas I have people that come and hunt with me, and they think the whole time it's just, oh, yeah, Jay's just spotting giants every single day. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. You know, the majority of the time we're just getting railed, and then from persistence you finally get in a situation where it's like, okay, it all came together, and, and, and it happens. And so I always crack up when I – you know, text you guys hunting season. I'm like, how's it going? I mean, I can predict the answer. It's horrible. It sucks. <laughs> We're not getting it done. And then the next thing I get is this giant thick picture of a 390-inch bull, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it sucks. All right, yeah. And, I mean, you're in it. You're in it. It's It does. I mean, this year was a prime example. I mean, gosh, man, it. we ended up killing, you know, in that camp, five out of the six or something like that, huh? Like you're six or seven. Yeah, it was, if you would have told me that was going to happen on a year like we had last year, I'd have said you're nuts. Like it was our probably our best harvest rate on archery elk we've ever had, and solid bulls too for the for the year it was. So if you would have told me that was going to happen, I'd have, I'd have said you were nuts. But it know. didn't feel like you, it didn't feel like you were doing it at the time you know to me it no, feel no like, we felt like we were you always feel like you're getting your ass kicked but you know, <laughs> that's, just the way, that's just the way hunting is you know like jay was saying 99 percent of the time you're failing and getting your ass kicked but that for that one little highlight that one one thing that makes the highlight real you know i, I try and explain that to clients more and more now than ever you know it's like that one guy we had issues with on the late hunt that you were aware of you know he thought showing up for the hunt it was going to be a constant highlight reel and that's one of the perspectives i told him i said you know when you watch espn do you expect them to show the whole game all the downtime on a baseball game no you see the strikeout you see the home run the grand slam you don't see the whole other two hours of the game right. i said in hunting it's the same thing you know when you're looking at instagram you're seeing the highlight reel you're seeing that one percent of the high, highlight reel that happens, you know, and the rest of the stuff is, is a grind. So, yeah, it is. Well, you two are the biggest grinders I know. Um, Craig, I do have a question before before I let you both go. Um, ex, uh, exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, um, I want you to tell everyone where uh, they can reach out and find you, but also Predator Exclusives is right in the middle of your season. How is the season going so far, uh, the short version of how is the season going with Predator Exclusives? It's, it's going good. Uh, got some hunts this week. Um, got a two-day hunt tomorrow, and then got another two-day hunt later this week. It's going good. Um, we just have some limited spots because I'm coaching uh, softball, high school softball, um, this year's and uh, 
so we got limited spots available in March. Um, February is pretty much full. Um, we've called in several bobcats. Um, I got a couple lion hunts scheduled for this month, um, but it's going good. Um, everybody's um, at least been, you know, getting opportunities, and um, I think the best day we've had is a client killed uh, seven coyotes in one day, and and I think they called in like 14 coyotes, um, and uh, so it's it's been going good. The colder weather has helped. I'm interested to see how the week goes this week because of the stormy weather. Um, tomorrow they're going to run into some rain and some wind, so that's going to be tough. But I already told the client to just be ready for a a kind of a you know grind or downer day tomorrow, and be ready on Wednesday for after the storm front pushes through. So. Good stuff. Um, ExclusivePursuits.com, I assume. ExclusivePursuitOutfitters.com, and then you can find us on Instagram. Just search uh, Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, um, and on Facebook as well, and on YouTube. So, But Instagram's the uh, kind of primary source. And you can go to our website, too, and sign up for our e-newsletter. We put out probably about four or five newsletters a year. Um, try not to, we don't pound guys with stuff. Just simple reminders, maybe some drought information, maybe some highlights of, of what clients took. Um, and then same with predatorexclusives.com. Um, so that's how you can find us. You mean you guys don't sell T-shirts and hats and jelly of the club, jelly of the monks club <laughs> memberships? <laughs> Man. I'm not. I'm not in the hammering on anybody else but myself. So, uh, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right, guys. Love you both. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing your success this fall. Okay. God bless you All both. Right. All right. All right, man. Thanks Bye. again, Jay. Bye. Bye.